Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you are a Christian, the greatest transformation that will ever take place in your life has already occurred. You are radically, totally, eternally different than from what you once were and from everyone around you. You say, well, Dan, I thought that was going to happen when Jesus comes back and my body gets changed into a glorified body. No, already inside, you have been changed into a new creature in Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest transition that will ever happen. Now, outwardly speaking, things are much the same. You're still making a living. You're still going to school. You're still getting married. You're still raising children. You're still mowing your lawn. You've still got to wait for the rinse cycle. You're still buying clothes. You're still buying groceries. You're still trying to get along with your neighbor. Your outer man is decaying just like everybody else. But inwardly, this book of 2 Corinthians alone tells us you are a new creation. You have a new covenant relationship with God. You have new motives that inspire you to enjoy all things new. You have a whole new life and a whole new relationship with God. And though it appears to the natural eye like little has changed, the truth is that everything has changed. And I would say to you this morning, if you have experienced that kind of transformation, you cannot keep quiet about it. If you have truly been transformed by Jesus Christ then that is going to cry out inside of you for you to tell that to other people because there are people all around you who are still struggling with guilt and despair, who are still struggling with emptiness and confusion and bitterness, people around you who are still enslaved to sin, still living in bondage to the flesh, still blind to the glory of Christ. There are people all around you who have never seen the beauty of Jesus. And the love of Christ compels us to share that, which is exactly what our passage this morning reminds us of. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, we're told that we have a new ministry. Look at the end of verse 18. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The end of verse 19, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Chapter 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We have been given a new ministry. And this passage is speaking about every Christian. This is not restricted to those who are are ordained. This is not restricted to those who are, quote, in the ministry. If you are a Christian, you are in the ministry. If you are a believer, you have been given a ministry because you possess something that the world desperately needs. And what is the nature of our new ministry? Well, notice what stands out in this passage as we read it. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The word reconciled appears five times in these three verses. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? Well, that's a basic word that means to exchange or to change. Financially, it means to change or exchange the amount in your account to match what the bank says. That's reconcile. In a relationship, it means to change a relationship from bad to good, to change from an enemy to a friend. And the relationship that's in view here is our relationship with God. Did you know that man's relationship with God is basically bad? You know, when we're born into this world, we're not just in a situation where we're not on speaking terms with God. The Bible says we are enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were born into sin, born apart from God, born at odds with God, born in the enemy camp. We got in that position because we were born in Adam. Our great, 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 great grandpa Adam defected. And we went with him because we were in his loins. And we're born from his seed, born rebels, born antagonistic against God. Rather than fearing God and loving God, we are opposed to God. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you. There's no way to imagine a more difficult situation, a worse condition to be in than to be at war with the one who created us. Enemies of God. And I can hear somebody saying, well, you know, Dan, I'm not really at war with God. You know, I'm not fighting God. I'm not really hostile toward God. Well, what does God say? James 4.4, friendship with the world is hostility toward God. This world system with its ideas and opinions and attitudes that are opposed to God is the enemy. And when you make yourself a friend of this world system, you are saying, I am opposed to, I am fighting, I am an enemy of God. And that's not even a choice that we have initially because we are born into this world system. We are part of this world system. Ephesians 2.2 says we walked according to the course of this world. That was our total orientation, away from God, in rebellion to God. We were created in God's image. We were created 
to be indwelt by Him. We were created to enjoy a relationship with Him. And yet, due to sin, we found ourselves estranged from God, at odds with God, alienated from God. In fact, I would say to you this morning that alienation from God is the fundamental sickness of humanity. Everything negative comes out of that. Everything else that we experience negative is because we are alienated from God. And therefore, the best news that man could ever hear is that a means for reconciliation with God has been found. And we are not only privileged to be those who experience that reconciliation, but we are privileged to be those who get to share that good news with other people. That's our new ministry. And in this passage, Paul underscores certain elements of our ministry. He tells us it originates with God, it's actualized through Christ, it's entrusted to us, it accomplishes the impossible, and it requires a response. First of all, it originates with God. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now in a broken relationship, who do we naturally expect to initiate the reconciliation? The, the offending party. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm not going to her. I didn't do anything wrong. She's going to have to crawl to me if we're going to reconcile this relationship. Well, who initiates the reconciliation between us and God? God does. The offended one makes the way of reconciliation possible. And that's amazing. But you know, the reality is that if it was left to us, we couldn't do it. We're not talking here about being reconciled with your neighbor. We're talking about being reconciled with a holy God. And what is it that causes our alienation from God? It's our sin. So what are we going to do? Go to God and say, look, God, I know I sinned, but let me kind of try to pay you back for that. I'm going to try to make that right. I'm I'm going to pay that debt back to you. It can't happen. You see, it's got to originate with God because it can't with us. Romans 5, 6 says we are helpless to do anything about our situation. Reconciliation has to originate with God. And that's the major flaw of man's religion. Man's religion is saying that it originates with man. Man's religion is man trying to make that relationship right with God. Man's religion is man trying to work his way back to God, and that can't happen. It can't be done. Reconciliation has to originate with God. But I want you to notice something. Though it originates with God, God is not the one who is reconciled. We are reconciled. And the wording is very careful in this passage. Look at verse 18 in the middle. It says, who reconciled us to himself. Verse 19 in the middle, reconciling the world to himself. He reconciled us. He changed us. 
Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that God is reconciled to us. We are always reconciled to God because God doesn't need to be reconciled. God doesn't need to be changed. He's got nothing to change. He is always the same. We are the rebels. We are the enemies. We are the ones who broke the relationship. We are the ones who need to be reconciled back to God. And only God can do that. And he reconciled us. And that's why when you come down to verse 20, you'll notice it says, therefore, at the end of the verse, I'm sorry, at the end of the verse it says, be reconciled to God. Verse 20 has to come after verse 18 and 19. The only reason that we can be reconciled is because God has already reconciled us to himself. And we simply accept the reconciliation that he has provided. And so, number one, it originates with God. Secondly, it's actualized through Christ. Notice verse 18 again. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself, notice, through Christ. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. There is no reconciliation apart from Christ. He is the only one who can change you from an enemy to a friend. And how does he do that? Romans 5.10 says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Colossians 1.20 says, and, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.22, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Now, how does Christ's death reconcile us to God? Well, look at verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That word counting is a financial term. My account, spiritually, was in the red. Totally full of sin. Totally full of trespasses against God. My account was totally full of those things that were offenses against Him. And Jesus came and paid for my sins. You see, God doesn't count my sins against me because he counted my sins against Jesus. Reconciliation is possible because the sin that separated me from God has been removed. The Bible says it's been blotted out. The Bible says God has taken it and thrown it into the depths of the sea. How did he do that? Because Jesus paid for it on the cross of Calvary. And then notice, who does Christ's death reconcile? Look at verse 19 in the middle. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's a big theological point, and I'm not going to get off into it. I'm only going to say this. Christ didn't die for a few. 
He didn't just die for the choice or the elite or the special. Back in verse 15, what does it say? He died for who? For all. Christ's death has limitless value. When he died on the cross, he had the whole world in view. And that's why I can say to a lost person, and if you're lost here this morning, I can say to you that you're already reconciled. Peace has already been provided for you through the cross of Christ. Your debt has already been paid for by Jesus. Now let me add a footnote here. Because Jesus bore the wrath of God at the cross, we often come to certain misconceptions. And one of those is we kind of view the Father as vengeful and angry. And we kind of view Jesus as compassionate and tender toward lost people. And we kind of think, well, I kind of like to hang out with Jesus, but I'm not sure about the Father. And we have this kind of good, good cop, bad cop view of those guys, and, and, and we think, Jesus, yeah, he's tender, he's compassionate, he's loving, but the Father, he's, he's kind of upset all the time. We'll look at verse 19 again. It says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Who reconciled you? God did through Christ. What does John three sixteen say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Romans 8.32 says, God did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. God loves you so much that he gave his Son to reconcile you, to restore that relationship with him. So it originates with God. It's actualized through Christ. Third, it's entrusted to us. Look again at the end of verse 18. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'd love to be able to give you long enough to marinate in that thought. God originated it. Christ actualized it. And you and I have been entrusted with it. You see, we are God's plan A to reach this lost world, and God doesn't have a plan B. He has given this great ministry of bringing his enemies into the family of God to you and me. You say, but Dan, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are. And let me point out three things in this passage that make you qualified for this ministry. Number one is experience. Look at verse 18 again. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled. So when we share the message, it's not just an academic message that we share with people. We are sharing from experience. I can go to someone and say, I know exactly how it feels to be alienated from God. I know exactly where you're at. Been there, done that. That's why somebody said witnessing is one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. 
I've been there. I've experienced alienation from God. I know what it is to be reconciled to him, and I want to share it with you. Experience qualifies us. Secondly, knowledge qualifies us. Look at verse 19 at the end again. He says, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I hear a lot of believers say, well, Dan, I don't know if I know what to say to somebody. I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question I can't answer. I'm afraid I'll, I'll get in the middle of a presentation and I'll mess it up and I'll eternally mess up the plan of God. What have you got? You have got the word of reconciliation. So you don't go out and try to be clever. You don't have to go out and try to be original. You don't have to go out and try to be all creative. You just have to be faithful to the word of God and faithful to share that with other people. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. You just share the gospel, and the gospel is so simple that little children can understand. We're going to have vacation Bible school. Little children are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ because the gospel is so simple. The problem with the gospel is not that it's complex. It's so simple that we have to humble ourselves to come. You have the experience if you have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And you have the knowledge because it's God's word that you share. And then the third thing that qualifies you is authority. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God put you in the ministry. And then verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We talked about this last time, but what is an ambassador? An ambassador is one who represents a sovereign power in a foreign land. An ambassador is one who speaks on behalf of his king in a foreign country. We are in a foreign country, a country that is at war with our God. And we represent Christ here. We speak for him here. And we have his authority here. You say, well, I'm feeling pretty good now. I've experienced God's power. I've been entrusted with God's word. I've been sent out with God's authority. God probably wants me to go around blasting people. He wants me to tell people, get over here. Get back to God. Drop your weapons and get up against the wall. No. Notice the terms Paul uses to describe our ministry. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. What's an appeal? It's when you ask for something. Then the end of verse 20 says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. We're asking, we're begging. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're asking people, we're begging people, we're urging people. God doesn't force a relationship on anybody. That's why we read in the book of Revelation, he's doing what? He's standing at the door knocking. He's not busting the door down. He's knocking, he's appealing, he's asking, he's urging, he's begging through us. He goes all the way to reconcile you. 
And then he asks and begs and urges you to come to him. And what's his mouthpiece? To relay that message. It's you and me. Because he has entrusted this message, this ministry of reconciliation to you and me. And then fourth, it accomplishes the impossible. Look at verse 21, and we're going to come back to this verse again because it's too rich to just touch on, but verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, we've already seen the negative side of reconciliation. We've already seen what God doesn't do in verse 19. He doesn't count our sins against you. Here's the positive side of it. It says he takes your sin and he puts it on Jesus. And then he takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on you. That's reconciliation in a nutshell. That's the exchange. That's the change. He makes Jesus to be your sin, and he makes you to be Jesus' righteousness. And that's how we have a relationship with the holy God, because he has made us holy. I am just as holy, I am just as righteous as Jesus Christ. And I hope I don't have to tell you that that is accomplishing the impossible. Remember when Jesus said to the disciples, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. At my age, I can't even get anything to go through an eye of a needle anymore with my eyesight. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you have to remember how the disciples thought. They thought, if you're really obedient to God, he's going to bless you with all kinds of riches and prosperity physically. So they saw rich people as closer to God. So when they found out a rich person couldn't get into heaven, they said, well, who can be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it is real difficult. No. With man, it is impossible. It's as impossible as trying to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Man cannot get into heaven. It's impossible. But, what did he say? With God, all things are possible. God can take you and do the impossible. He can reconcile you back to him because he takes your sin and puts it on Jesus so it's not in your account anymore. And then he takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on you so that your account is in the black. It's saying the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It accomplishes the impossible. And then fifthly, it requires a response. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. He says, In working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. You have received the grace of God. Actually, the whole world has received the grace of God. But for some, it is in vain because they haven't appropriated it. They haven't responded to it. Now, how do you respond to the grace of God? How do you respond to the message of reconciliation? Well, look at the end of verse 20. He says, be reconciled to God. 
God has reconciled you. He has done all that needs to be done. He has paved the road back to him. He has gone all the way to change you from an enemy to a friend. And now he waits and he begs and he pleads and he urges you to repent. What's it mean to repent? It means to turn around. He urges you to change your attitude, to come to the cross of Christ where reconciliation is made possible and receive the embrace of a loving God who has already forgiven you and wants to dress you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What do you have to do? You have to turn away from your sin. Turn away from the direction you're going in rebellion against God. Turn away from being a friend of this world and embrace God in reconciliation. Reconciliation is a relationship. I get frustrated a lot of times when I listen to people and I ask them about their salvation and they tell me they made a decision sometime in their life. But the direction of their life hasn't changed. Say, I made a decision. And they're still going down the same path they were going down before. There's been no transformation. There's been no change. You see, you have to respond to God's offer of reconciliation. If reconciliation were automatic, then this passage wouldn't say, be reconciled to God. God has done the impossible so that you can do the uncomfortable. See, you have to do what the prodigal son did. You have to say, I'm tired of the pig slop. I'm tired of being in rebellion against my father. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go home. See, that's more than a decision. That's an act of faith. Five frogs were sitting on a log. Four of them decided to jump off. How many are left? If you say one, you're wrong. Because I said four decided to jump off. Deciding to jump off is not the same as jumping off. How many of you have decided to follow Jesus? How many of you have decided to get closer to God? I hear people say all the time, I've decided to lose weight. I'm not weighing them or anything, but I don't see a lot of change. I've decided to start working out. I've decided to start saving money. We can say that. It's cheap. Some of us say, I've decided to follow Jesus. Some of us say, I've decided to get closer to God. And we're still sitting on the log. Reconciliation means change. God has come all the way to you to change your relationship. And the question is, will you turn around and come all the way to him?
When's that going to happen? Look at chapter 6 and verse 2. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is an acceptable time to be reconciled. There is a certain day to be reconciled, and that day is now. Our ministry is an urgent ministry. We only have a limited window to share the message of reconciliation with other people. We ask, we beg, we urge you to come to Christ, to be reconciled to God. We urge you and beg you like there's no tomorrow because if you reject Jesus Christ today, there may be no tomorrow. We're going to close our service today with communion and a time of worship before the Lord. It's a fitting thing to do because the only way that we have any kind of relationship with God is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's because Jesus died in my place. And so this morning as we take the bread and take the cup, I hope you will appreciate afresh what it costs for God to reconcile you and how special you are to him that he spent that much, the most that he had, to bring you back into a relationship with him today. And if you're a believer here today, you are a new creature with a new ministry. It originates with God. It's actualized through Christ. It's entrusted to us. It accomplishes the impossible, and it requires a response. And as we take the bread and the cup this morning, I trust that we're challenged afresh to say, I want to embrace this new ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. I want to bring hostile rebels like I used to be into the family of God. There's nothing more exciting than to be a part of that which God is doing. Let's pray and then we'll take the bread and the cup. If you're here as a guest this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not our supper. It's available to you. But I would challenge you to prepare your heart to get your relationship right with the Lord. Make sure there's nothing between you and Him. And then come and either restore that relationship or rejoice in that relationship this morning. If you don't know the Lord today, I'm going to be sitting down here on the front pew. James is right over here. Come down. We would love to share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ and enjoy that relationship that he paid the cost of Calvary to have with you. Let's pray and give thanks for the bread and the cup. Father, thank you for the cross. We know there's a reason why you said, do this in remembrance of me. Because we're a forgetful people. We often want to move on to other things and new things and new ideas and new thoughts and new opinions. And yet we're reminded that we have to keep coming back to the foot of the cross. Because it's at the cross where you paid the debt we could never pay. And it's at the cross where we find the doorway to reconciliation with God, a relationship that starts now and never ends. 
And Lord, as we take the bread and cup today, I pray that you would cause our hearts to well up in appreciation and well up in worship toward you because it's all about you. And it's only because of you that we can call you daddy and that we are in your family and that we have been changed from your enemies to your friends, from hostile to part of your family. And we give you our praise, we give you our thanks, and we give you our worship today in Jesus' name. Amen.